0: Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Are you well today? Good to see you. There we go. We got one. That's all I need. I just need one. Are you glad you're here this morning? Hey, if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn over to uh, Psalm 126. We're going to continue this series we started a few weeks ago called Do It Again about revival. Appreciate you guys coming out last week for for Dad Les, Miss Mary's last Sunday at Church on the Rock, but we sent them off with our blessing and uh, we're going to miss them, but we'll see them again because they'll come, they'll visit and uh, they'll be back for special things and we miss them. We love them so much. Uh, but thank you for coming out last week and blessing them. And they were really encouraged by all the support we gave them. And uh, so we appreciate that. We're going to start uh, in Psalm 126, uh, verse 1. And we're going to go to verse 4 in the Passion Bible. It says, It was like a dream come true when you freed us from our bondage and brought us back to Zion. We laughed and we laughed. You know, some of you could use that. Can anybody use that? Come on. No, Be honest. Don't, don't be, don't act like you, we need laughs in here. We all need laughs. The world's too serious right now. Notice this is, this is not talking just like a natural laugh. You went to a comedian and heard jokes, but, but God's done something so good in your life. There's so much joy. That's what happens in revival. We laughed and we laughed and we overflowed with gladness. Man, that's revival. We were left shouting for joy and singing your praise. And all the nations saw it and joined in. That means the world saw it and said, look, the Lord has done great miracles for them. Yes, he did mighty miracles and we are overjoyed. And notice verse 4. Now, Lord, do it again. Restore to us our former glory. May streams of your refreshing flow over us until our dry hearts are drenched again. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Recipe for Revival. Recipe for Revival. So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about Recipe for Revival. A few weeks ago, we talked about God moves where he is wanted. And uh, just the basic uh, idea of that was, if you don't want God, guess what? He's probably not going to move in your life. Uh, Because he respects your will. Not that he doesn't want to move. He always wants to move. He always wants to help us. He loves us. He's here for us. But you have a will. And you can choose to receive God's move or you can choose to resist it. But he will respect your choice. But God moves where he's wanted. He moves in a church where he's wanted. He moves in a family where he's wanted. He moves in a, a, a group of people where he's wanted. He moves in a school where he's wanted. He moves in a community where he is wanted. God moves where he's wanted. A lot of times people are saying, well, why isn't God moving? Why isn't there a revival? Does anybody want him? It's not a, it's not a hard thing to figure out. And we see so many people in like third world countries having great moves of God in the global South, like South America. And we see in Africa and Asia and parts of the Middle East, God moving, God's presence being poured out because those people are desperate. Unlike Americans, they're like, no, God, we need you to move. And guess what? God moves over there. And you see these crazy miracles like. Just hundreds of people being set free from uh, addiction. And you see like thousands of blind eyes open in that crusades in other countries. And nothing happening in America sometimes. Why? Because God moves where he's wanted. In other countries, you you hear people just being raised from the dead. Just like left and right. Like it's normal over there. Which it should be for all of us. Why does it happen over there and doesn't happen here as much? God moves where he's wanted. God moves where he's wanted. And uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago, and I want to continue that idea, but we we talked about, well, what is revival? Well, revival is uh, a couple words used for the word revival. If you look it up is renewal or a reawakening, but revival is simply this. Let's look at the word revival. Re means again, and revival means to live. Revival means to live again. It means that God's spirit comes in to the church first and he revives the people that were once alive, that were once passionate, that were once hungry for God. And we all get into times and seasons like that where we we drift from our first love. We drift from hunger. We drift from passion when we once had it. And, And the Holy Spirit comes in revival and he revives the church. He helps the church to live again. He helps all of us to live again. And I know for me and for most of you in here, there's times and seasons we need a special move of God because somehow we've gotten off track and we need to live again. We've gotten a little dead, a little stagnant, a little, you know, uh, not as excited about church and not as excited about uh, sharing the gospel with others, not excited about our faith. And the Spirit of God comes and revives us again. Like the way we felt when we first got saved. When we first came alive, the spirit of God revives us. He takes um, the defibrillators and he revives the church. But he starts with the church, but the church is not the ultimate purpose of revival. God revives the church so the church can do something about the world. He never just revives the church so the church can just have a Holy Ghost fit. God never revives the church just so we can have blowout services and just keep it in these four walls. God revives the church so the church can go change the world. God revives the church so people can start sharing the gospel like they never had before. He revives the church so Christians will start acting like they should have been in the first place. (laughs) Like just normal Christianity which was just be sharing their faith and and living a life that's full of God. He revives us so we can go affect the world around us. That's the purpose for revival. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe it's because I've been in church my whole life. And, you know, I get tired of church services that are the same. I've been a lot of church services. Yeah, I am the pastor, son. You realize that. So I've been coming to church for 35 years and nine months and I've been in a lot of church services and uh, there's been some church services. I was glad I came and there's a lot of church services. That I sat through and I'm like, why are we doing this? Oh, y'all want to be religious? Okay. It's all right. Because my question always this. What is the point of having a Holy Ghost blowout service for the 1500th time? If there's no growth in the church, what is the point of having another revival and another prayer meeting and another, everybody's just going to have a Holy ghost fit and laugh. And then nothing's going to happen afterwards. Somehow we've missed the point. If that's all we have and that's all we do to get together is we all just got one big bless me club and, uh, we feel a couple tinglies. We shout a little bit. We dance a little bit. Uh, now, y'all don't because y- y'all ain't that expressive anymore. But let's just say another church because they're in revival. They were, they were dancing a little bit, shouting a little bit, expressing themselves. I'm joking. Stop being so serious this morning. But it's the truth. Um, but then they, they, they do the same thing, the same thing, and then there's no new people in their church. No one's sharing their faith. The world around them is still the same. There's still the same issues. We missed the point if that's what revival is because that's not the fullness of revival. That's only one little part. Yes, he does come to revive you because he loves you and he cares about you and he wants to help you. But it's not just for you. It's so that you can go help other people. He heals you so you can heal others. He delivers you so you can deliver others. He saves you so you can save others. He helps you so you can help others. He blesses you so you can be a blessing to others. That's the whole reason he revives you. It's not just for you. And if it is, then we'll just be another dead church. But notice God does something in you so you can go and do something in the world around you. And notice when you get revived, it's not like you're just like, Oh, I got to do something. It's like, if you're revived, it's just naturally flowing out of you. It's not like I'm trying to witness today. Y'all save your comments. If you're, you're witnessing to people like that, they're like, are you constipated? Are you trying to witness to me right now? No, when you're revived, it just flows out of your heart. You're just like, Hey, you know, you just start sharing about your faith and you start just sharing about a worship song you listen to. And you start sharing about your church and it just flows out of you because you're just revived and you just can't help it. And you're not just like, oh, I need to pray for people at, at work today. No, when you're revived, you're just like, hey, can I pray for healing for you? It just flows out of you and you're not even trying to. Why? Because he wants to revive you. The church first. How many know the church got to get it together before the world gets it together? So many of us in the church world are looking at the world to get it together. And we're like, nah, starts with us first. What do you mean? The church is always talking about the big bad world like they need to change. No, we need to change. And if we change, guess what? The world would change. But Christians are looking at the world like they need to fix something. They can't. They don't have God. Hello, you do. God wants to change the church first Fix the church first. Do something in us first so we can do something in the world. That's the purpose for revival. I'm not on my notes, but I'm preaching good so far today. Revival means to live again. And let's not put revival in a box. You know, some of us think if we didn't have this type of service, that's not revival. Who said? Who made the rules on revival? Listen, anything that makes our spiritual life come alive is revival. Anything that makes our hunger come back for God, our passion come back for God, our love come back from God is revival. Sometimes that could be a Bible study and it sparks something. It doesn't have to be a huge meeting. That could be revival. Sometimes it could be a service where no one's even talking. We're just in God's presence. That can be revival. It could be a service where, where somebody's just teaching the word of God and something they say, it sparks you. That can be revival. Now, it also could be revival when people are taking laps. People are hanging off the chandeliers, even though we don't have any chandeliers around here. People are just getting prayed for and people are crying and people are laughing. That could be revival, but that's not the only revival that God wants to do. So we can sometimes judge certain groups of people like, well, they're not in revival. Who said? Just because they're not yelling at church or taking a lap. No, whatever is happening in a spiritual experience that's making us come alive and get our hunger and passion back for God is revival. And it's always going to look differently. For all of us in here, you can't stop what God is doing when he moves, but you can miss it. And I don't want any of us to miss it in here today. So I want to talk today, we're going to talk about recipe for revival. And I don't mean recipe as in A plus uh, B equals C. And if you just do these things, it's automatic revival. No, but there is a way that we need to live that we can either welcome God into our life. Or we can push God out of our life. Uh, There is a recipe or formula. It's, It's not like exact, like legalistic. If I do these things, I will be in revival. But we can live in a way that we either are resisting revival or we're receiving revival. So can I talk about that today? I want to talk, first of all, about three ways we can resist revival. Then I'm going to talk about three things we can do to receive revival. Would you like to know the first way we will resist God's move and revival is having pride in our life, pride in our life. Now that's the original sin. It's a sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. It's a sin of Adam and Eve in the garden saying, God, I'm good. I can do this by myself. I don't need your help. I can figure this out. I can handle it. Pride is one of the ways that we will resist revival in our personal lives. And we are a person of pride. Trust me, all of you have pride in your life. I'll see that pride was like, "Mm, (laughs) not me. Yes. You prideful. (laughs) We all have pride in our life. and, And you know, Sorry, I love America, but I got to say it. Once again, Americans are known for being prideful. Cuz I'm proud. And you better believe it. It's in our DNA. We have dominated world wars for all these years. Like we dominate the world. Like it's we got a lot of pride in us as Americans. Some of that's okay, but a lot of that's not good because we think we can just do it ourselves. We don't need nobody. Well, you don't need nobody, but you need God. I'm for that. You know, you, you don't need to be dependent on other people and the government and everybody else. But you do need to be dependent on God. And sometimes we as Americans, can it, we just feel like I can do it. I can achieve it. You know, I, I'm educated. I got money. I'm in good health. I can do this. I live in the suburbs. I, I can do this. I, I can handle myself. No, you can't. You might not need other people, but you need God. And that pride will resist the revival that God wants to do in your life because you're prideful. No, we all need God in here. We need him to live. And let me break it down a little bit closer to home. Without God's help right now, you could not be breathing oxygen on this planet. Mr. I can do whatever I want. No, guess what? If he took that oxygen away, you would. Real quick. The reason you're breathing today is because God has given you oxygen in your lungs. There's no reason for pride. Do you realize the reason your brain is working right now and your heart is beating right now and your lungs are moving and and you're able to think and you're able to move your arms and legs and knees and everything else and talk is because there's a God sustaining your every existence right now. And he does that to people that don't even care about him. But sometimes we think, oh, I did this. I made this. You didn't do nothing. God is the one who gives you life. And you need him. And you can't live without him. But if we're going to stay in pride, we will resist revival and what God wants to do in our lives, in our church, in our families. Look at what James 4, 6 says in the Passion. But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says... God, what does he do? What does he do? God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. He resists you when you're proud, but he pours out grace on those who are humble. So pride. Pride's the first thing that we need to look at our hearts when we're trying to Judge our spiritual life and see if we're in a place for revival. Realize pride, resist God's move in your life. Here's another way to look at pride. Sometimes we say, when God's telling us what to do to get into a place of revival, if we're prideful, we'll say, well, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to say that. I don't want to do that do that, you know, I might be embarrassed at church or I might be embarrassed at work or I might be embarrassed in another setting. God's like, well, you need to do that. When you say no to God, that's pride. That's what it is. It's saying, no, you know better. And God doesn't know that's pride. And when we live that way, when God's speaking to us ongoingly, that attitude will resist God's move in our life. The next thing, that hinders us from having revival is tradition. Tradition sometimes can hinder God's move in our life. Think about this. Every major denomination that we have, there's hundreds of them. We're all started in a move of God. God. But the thing is, most denominations now, not all, are dying. Yes, yes, dying. A lot of the, even the mainline denominations, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, major denominations like that are declining. They're selling their buildings, they're closing their universities, their attendance is Going down and down and down. But all those denominations started in a move of God. But what happened? Tradition became more important than what God was doing. And even though it started in a move of God. It didn't stay in a move of God. Because they didn't change when God was changing. And that's not just for Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian. That's for our church. Because tradition can sometimes stop the plan of God because it's us resisting God's move. In a lot of those denominations, but we're no different in the word of faith, spirit-filled movement. Say, we're going to see the, sing the same songs. We're going to preach the same things. We're going to do it the exact same way we've always done it when it stopped working 100 years ago. 50 years ago and that tradition has stopped what god wants to do in that church the last words of a dying church is we have always done it this way i want you to know as this pastor of this church we'll be 38 years old next month but i want you to know as a pastor of this church everything at church on the rock is on the table Let me say that one more time. 38 years as a church, everything at Church on the Rock is on the table. Now, I'm not talking about what we believe and our beliefs that are in the Word of God. That's a non-negotiable. That's something that we don't change. But the methods, they always change. And it's all on the table. The worship's on the table. What songs we sing are on the table. The kids' ministry is on the table. The way this building look is on the table. The way we do the website and the podcast is on the table. The way we preach the message is on the table. The way we do the offerings is on the table. The way we do communion is on the table. The way we do baptisms is on the table. The way we do life groups is on the table. The way we sit in the sanctuary is on the table. Why? Cuz we're not going to get caught in tradition and die like most churches do. We're not. We're going to keep the things we need to keep, but for everything else, it's on the table. And that's the attitude we should have, knowing, God, if you want to move it, let's move it. If you want to change it, let's change it. If you want us to do something different, let's do something different. If you're speaking to us, we're going to move with you, and we're not going to get caught in tradition. Because tradition can kill the move of God. It resists revival when sometimes our tradition can come more important than what God is speaking to us today. I got a verse for you. Mark 7 and verse 13. This is Jesus speaking to the religious people of that day. He said, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you have handed down and many such things you do. Jesus said to the religious leaders, You've made the word of God of no effect because you're stinking traditions. You refuse to change. You refuse to do something differently when I'm speaking to you. And we can do that as well as a church and as believers. We can say, I've always done it this way, pastor. All right, if it's not working, change. If it's not causing revival in your life, change. Change. Don't let your spiritual life dry up and then be like, what am I going to do? Well, you can change. And most churches I see are like that. They have let their church and their church community dry up and die. Not realizing God moved on years ago and they never moved with him. We're not going to be like that as a church. Are you hearing me this morning? We're not going to be like that as a church. Yes, we know what we believe and we know why we believe it. And that's something that's always going to stay the same, the message. But the methods are going to change. And they've changed over the past several years, but they will continue to change. Why? Because we are not going to dry up and die spiritually as a church community. We're not going to let tradition become more important than the word of God. It will make us of no effect, the Bible says. And hear me, church family, we will do everything short of sin to change and reach people for God at Church on the Rock. Everything is on the table. If it's not sin, it's open to us changing it. And we'll do whatever it takes to change this church to reach people, and to be the church that God wants us to be. And we will move with God. We will not get stuck in tradition. So tradition sometimes can resist God's move in our life. Once again, I'm not saying throw out everything because you don't want to be traditional. There is good things that we need to keep. But there's a lot of things that we need to say, God, do you want me to still do this? Do you want me to still uh, do my devotional life this way? Do you want me to read something different? Do you want me to pray differently? Do you want me to worship differently? God, everything's on the table. What, What do you want me to do? And we have to judge our own hearts whether we are drying up spiritually or we are thriving spiritually. And ask ourselves the hard questions. Maybe we need to change. Because our traditions can make the word of God of no effect. The third thing is we can resist revival. Because we have too many distractions. Are you still with me this morning? I'm not trying to be too heavy with you. I'm just trying to be real this morning. Distractions can resist God's move in our life. We live in such a distracted age. Now. I don't need to tell you this. You know this because you live this. It's been like that for all of human history, but especially the past hundred years because of technology, because of modern life, because of the iPhone. It has made us extremely distracted. It says that our attention span as humans has dropped drastically in the past hundred years that we can't even focus for even a few seconds without being distracted. How many of you know you can't receive from God if you're constantly distracted about everything else? You can't have any good relationship, God or humans, if you're constantly distracted. And our technology and our modern life and things that have helped us have also hurt us. Let me give you a few examples. We used to be able to buy a cassette tape or a CD and that's all you had. That's all you had. You want to listen to music, you got one cassette. One cassette. So you go rock, that Johnny Cash, for the next few years, because that's all you got. But now we have things like Spotify and Apple music that have literally every song that ever existed. Every genre classical, jazz, reggae, Christmas, Christian. Pop, techno, every imaginable music you can think of on your iPhone that you take everywhere, millions and millions and probably hundreds of millions of songs. And we're like, that's awesome, isn't it? Because endless choices mean endless distractions. Isn't it like that now? now that we have so many choices? Guess what the issue is? You can't choose what song to listen to. Is anybody else here? When I'm in the gym, I'm like, I have a thousand songs I can listen to. Which one do I choose? It wasn't hard back in the day. It was Johnny Cash on the cassette player. That's all you got. But endless choices mean endless distractions. Same thing with our movies. We used to have to go to a place called Blockbuster. R.I.P. Blockbuster. Blockbuster. Or Redbox. But now we have Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu and Paramount and Amazon Prime. Nonstop. We have all these different movie and TV shows, so now we don't just have a few we can choose, we have tens of thousands we can choose from. Once again, endless choices means we're endlessly distracted. Same issue we have with picking a movie. Now that you have all those on Netflix, what the heck are we going to choose, guys? Like we don't have any to choose from. But there's so many, we can't choose. Because endless choices mean endless distractions. We are living in the day and age of distraction. And listen to me this morning. You cannot receive from God when you're constantly distracted. God can't move in your life the way He wants to if you can't even have a quiet time without looking at your phone. And trust me, I'm guilty just like you are. They say the average person literally touches their phone thousands of times a day. Thousands. And the people that are really addicted, it's like five to ten thousand times a day. They touch their phone. Really? And we wonder why we can't have good relationships. And we wonder why we can't hear God's voice. Maybe because we're too distracted. And distractions in all of our lives can keep us out of God's plan. Out of God's move. It can resist revival. Not because God is keeping it away from us, but we don't have enough time for God. It's shocking to me sometimes. We have literally one service at Church on the Rock a week one two hours and sometimes people still act like man i'm just busy i I can't make it you've been doing stuff all week you've had so much in your life we're talking about a two-hour service once a week and you can't make it distractions i love you but we got one service distractions can you just give god two hours on a sunday to focus for a second but most of us in our personal life, we're so distracted. We can't even give God five minutes to read his word without being distracted. How can he move if he can't even speak to you? We can't even give God a whole worship song before we're changing to the next one. How can we get into an intimate relationship with God if we're that distracted? How can we pray if when we're trying to pray, we're over there texting people Why we're trying to pray to God? You can't receive from God when you're that distracted. I love you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just trying to challenge you this morning because I'm here too. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians seven, thirty-five in the New Living. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Look at what it says in the Passion Bible. I'm trying to help you and make things easier for you and not make them difficult, but so that you would have undistracted devotion. Serving the Lord constantly with an undivided heart. Paul's encouraging this church, the Corinthian church. He says, I want you to serve the Lord without distraction. That should be the goal for all of us in here. If you're going to focus on any relationship in your life to be undistracted, could I tell you this morning, do it with God. Do it with God. If you're going to choose one person to really focus on in your life, one relationship you have to have right and not be distracted, choose God this morning. Because if you choose him, guess what? Your marriage will get better. Your relationship with your kids will get better. Your relationship with your coworkers will get better. All the relationships in your life will improve if you seek him first. But we have to give God our undistracted devotion. Not because he's, I love it. Paul says, not that I'm trying to restrict you or force you to do something, but you're the one missing out. So I would like you to serve the Lord without distraction. Why? So you can receive from him and not resist what God is trying to do in your life. Are you getting something this morning? Well, let's talk about three things that we do to receive God's move in our life. Would you like to know that? The first thing I want to talk about is humility. We mentioned this a little bit the other week, but humility, which is the opposite of pride, by the way, Is not putting yourself down, but it's saying to God, I need you. I want you. And apart from you, I can do nothing. Humility is realizing who you really are and your need for God. But if we want to receive God's revival in our life, we have to live in this place of humility. And humility also says, God, if you talk to me about it, I'll change it. If you speak to me, I will correct it. I won't be hard-hearted because I'm humble before you. We just read it a second ago in James 4 and 6. God resists the proud, but he gives grace or his ability to the humble. A few weeks ago, we read in Isaiah 57 and 15, it says that God dwells with those who have a humble and contrite spirit, and he revives those with a humble heart. If we're going to have revival in our life, let's look at our own heart and say, are we humble? If we have pride, it will resist it. But if we have humility, we will receive the move of God in our life. We can all be there. We can all make that change today. Maybe you've been in pride. You can stop it today. Right now. Say, God, I need you. And I know about me in my life. I've had seasons where I've been prideful towards God, where he was talking to me and I wasn't listening. You know why? I didn't want to listen. Never turned out well, but there's other seasons in my life. Like hopefully the season I'm in right now that says, God, I'm humble before you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll change whatever you want me to change. I'll correct whatever you want to do in my life. Why? Because I need you. And I can't live without you. And I can't be a dad to Natalie without you. I need you. And I can't be a pastor of this church without you. I need you. And I can't preach without you because I need you. And I can't be sound in my mind without you. I need you. And I can't be physically healthy and strong in my body because I need you. And I need you to do everything I'm called to do. And I can't do it without you, God. When you got that attitude, God can move in your life. God can do something in your life when you say, God, I need you, I want you, and whatever you need me to do, I'll change it because you're right and I'm wrong. Yeah, that's, Good. that's humility. Right? It's not over you acting like you're a worm in a low life no. and like, I'm just humble, man. I'm horrible. God's great. That's not humility. That's not what God wants from you. God didn't go through all that to die for you on the cross. So you could live that way. No, he don't want you to carry yourself that way. You're of the greatest value that God would send his son to purchase you. You're of great value. You're not a worm and a low life. But we do need to have this humble heart to be before him knowing we need him. And without him, we can't do anything. You want a few more and then we'll close. One of the other things that we can do to receive revival is not just humility, but it's desire. Desire. The Bible uses those words for desire as hunger and thirst. Why? Because most, the most essential human need we have is hunger and thirst. The only two things that babies need And they'll tell you they need it. They hunger and thirst. Because without it, they die. It's the same way spiritually. We have to desire God in that way, realizing without him, we die. Without him, we can't do this. Without him, we need him. And we're going to hunger and thirst after him because he's the only one that can fill us. He's the only one that can quench our thirst and satisfy our soul. And God, we desire you. Desire leads to revival. Now for a lot of you in here, and I'm going to say this boldly, some of you really don't want God anymore, and that's why you don't have revival. You don't have this desperation and desire. Guess what? If you don't want it, you don't have to have it. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Yes. When asked about the move of God, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, a general in the faith, uh, he was at Pastor Nancy's church, and they said, Brother Hagan, you know, we've been praying for the move of God to happen. We've been praying for these meetings. And Brother Hagan said, well, the move of God doesn't just come by prayer. It comes by prayer and hunger or desire. The yes we need to pray, but when we get to God's presence, or we get in a church service, we need to hunger and thirst after God. Cuz he shows up to fill hungry and thirsty people, not satisfied people that act like I don't need nothing, God. He comes to people that are hungry and thirsty. Let me read you some quotes about hunger and revival. This is from Smith Wigglesworth. He said, The secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. It's an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. God was and is looking for hungry, thirsty people. Spiritual hunger is when nothing satisfies us as much as being near God. Can I give you a few more quotes? Are you with me this morning? A Duncan Campbell, who was in the Hebrides revival, said this about hunger. Your sense of need is the very ground on which God can work. Real hunger creates a capacity for God. The reason we are not filled is simply because we are not hungering for God. And lastly, there will be no true hunger for revival until we see how desperately we need it. We will never move into revival, hear me, as long as we're willing to live without it. Most people I know are okay living without it. Why? Because I'm good. I'm good, Pastor. I'm good. I got a pretty good life. Got a wife. Got two kids. Two dogs. Two cats. Two goldfish two cars, two TVs, got a good life. I love Jesus, but revival, I'm good. If you're good, God says, okay, you're good. Most of us have that attitude. I'm not saying you don't love God at all. We love God. But we just don't hunger and thirst after him like some other people do, and we don't get the same results. Right. Why? Because God moves where he's wanted. Yeah. We got a desire. Yeah. I love it, says in this quote, the last part he says, We will never move into revival as long as we're willing to live without it. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to live without it. I'm not willing to live without it in my personal life. I'm not willing to live without it in my family. I'm not willing to live without it in this church another day. I'm not. I'm not going to be a part of a church that's not in revival. I'm not going to be a part of a church that's a dead ship in the water. I'm going to be a part of a church that is seeking God, that is desiring God, that is moving towards God, that is in revival, that's pursuing the call of God on our life. Not a satisfied, fat and sassy American church. You go to most churches this morning, especially the bigger ones, not all of them, but a lot of them, this is what they're doing. They wonder why God's not moving. That's the way they sit and stand. That's the way they act during the message. And then they're like, all right, we'll go home. We'll do it again next week. They're okay with that, but I'm not, I want to be a part of a church. Notice, I'm not saying be out of control. Ain't nobody close, (laughs) but I'm saying a church that desires God and we're hungering and thirsting after God, after his presence, after revival, after healing. After miracles, after God to move, and we're not just sitting here just doing another church service, just doing another worship service, just going through the motions. I'm not here for that, so you don't need to be here for that either. I'm not. If we want revival, we have to desire it. we got to want it. we got to hunger and thirst after it like it's the most necessary, essential thing In our life, David, a man after God's own heart, in the Psalms would always say things like this God, I thirst for you. I hunger for you in a dry and weary land. He would say, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. Now, he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he desired God. He wanted God. He hungered and thirsted after God. But some of us in here, we're like, I just, I'm not that hungry. I'm not that thirsty. I'm not that desirous right now. Well, the way you get there is you got to give yourself to it. Whatever you give yourself to, your desires will follow. Say, well, I'm not, I'm not really that hungry for God right now, pastor. Well, guess what? Go do something different then. Go do Start doing things that are going to stir up that desire. Maybe you haven't been listening to worship music in a long time. Take Morgan Wallen off the playlist. No shade. And start putting on some Maverick City. Maybe take Drake off the playlist and put on some Elevation Worship. I mean, if you want your desires to start changing, you got to do something different. And you might not feel like it at first. You're like, man, I really want to listen to country, but I need the Holy Ghost. All right, well, put on some worship. Because you got to give yourself to it because the more you give yourself to it, your desires will follow. And maybe, you know, you haven't read in your Bible in a long time. Well, get a different translation. Start reading it. you got to give yourself to it. And the more you do, the more you will hunger after it, the more you'll thirst after it, and the desire will get stirred up. How about this? Be around people that are more hungry for God than you are. Instead of hanging out with the the Debbie Downers and the dry and out Christians that barely even are hanging on at church. If you hang out with hungry people, you get hungry. Do you realize why fat people hang out with other fat people? Because your desires stir up other desires. You realize when you start hanging out with skinny people, you get skinny. Why? Because their desires rub off on you. And hear me, church family, you need to start hanging out with some spiritually fat people. People that have been hungering and thirsting and eating of God's presence and eating of God's word and spending time with God. Don't get around the people that are barely hanging on spiritually. Wondering like, oh man, my spiritual life's going back too. Yeah, because you're hanging around with people that don't care. Get around somebody who's passionate and desirous and that desire will rub off on you. If we want revival, we have to desire God in hunger and thirst after him. That's a choice we make, but we can do it. And notice when we do that, God moves because that is a way we receive revival. Steve, can you come up and play for me? I'm going to land this plane. I've always thought of this before. When I asked Steve to come up and play, what if like Steve Renfro came up and played? Wouldn't that be the best day ever? I never, I never clarify what Steve I'm talking about, but Steve was like, I got this. And just Steve Renfro just came up and like, we never knew. Maybe you can play that good. I don't know. Or, or they both got to the keyboard at the same time, and then they had to arm wrestle who was going to play that day. I'm just throwing out different scenarios. Maybe that would be the spark of revival. All right, Steve, so next time I say that, I want you to run up at the same time, and, and you and Steve do a showdown on the keys. got one more thing for you we talked about if we want God to move we need to be in humility but we also need to desire him but lastly God moves in unity God moves in unity hear me church family we need to be a united church we see the early church the book of Acts the day of Pentecost that it starts with Acts 2, one and it says they were all in one place in in one accord. That's when God's presence moved. There was 120 people in an upper room, but they were unified and God's presence poured out upon them. And then it says out of that 120 people, it became billions and billions of people today. God moved on the day of Pentecost. Why? Because they were unified all in one place and all in one accord. But if you read the book of Acts, the first 30 years of the church, you see time and time again, you'll see language like that. They were all together. They were all of one heart and one soul. They were all of the same mind. They were all together. Why? Because unity is where God's presence is poured out. I want to say this morning, church family, you got to judge your own heart. But God will not move in this church if there's strife, if there's bitterness, if there's unforgiveness, if there's division, it will stop God's move in this church. And some of you are thinking, well, he won't stop it because it's just me. You're the one plugging up the move of God in this church then. Because it does matter because we're all in this together. Just like when there's unity, there's a manifest presence of God. When there's strife, there's every evil work and the manifest presence of the enemy. The world will change when there's a unified church. When we're divided, we're powerless, but when we're united, we're powerful. Don't be shocked why there's been so much division in our world and in the church world over the past several years. Why? Because when there's division and strife, there's every evil work. And if the church is not united, it loses its power. If we want God's move, we're going to have to come into this place in unity. We're going to have to go to life group in unity. We're going to have to be at a church picnic in unity. We're not going to look at somebody sitting on the opposite side of the church saying, I don't want to sit with them. I don't like them. No, you need them. God moves when there's unity in God's house amongst God's people when they're all in one place in one accord we all need to judge our own hearts maybe you need to forgive somebody maybe you need to let it go maybe you need to get division and strife out of your life why? because you want God's move more than you want your own way but don't get it twisted just one or two of you could stop God's move in this church just because of bad attitude. You're that important to this church. You're that important to the move of God. Notice the book of Acts said they were all in one accord. It's not like they had 95% participation. All 100% of them were united. They were all, it says in the book of Acts, of one heart and one soul and one mind. And that's where God's presence is poured out. I love this verse, and we're going to close with this. Psalm 133 1 through 3 in the Old Testament. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Notice what the psalmist said it's like it's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing in life forevermore. In this passage, what does it say? When brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there is life, there is blessing, there is his anointing that is poured out when we're in unity. When we're in one accord, there is his life There is his presence. And we all need that. We all want that as a church family. But it only happens when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. There's his anointing. There's his life. And there's his blessing on that group of people. Did you get something this morning? Can we have the praise team come up for a moment? I want to pray for some people this morning. And I specifically ask for the KOTR to come down here because I want to pray for them today. Come on, because we're a family church and we're a generational church and they're a part of this revival just like the adults are, aren't they? And so let's get in agreement with them. Could we stand up today? Or maybe you weren't hurt here the other week and didn't get get prayed for. You can come up as well. We're just going to pray for you this morning. Morgan can come up and help me. So come on, kids on the rock, come on up here. We're going to sing this song of worship. Let's let's get our faith together this morning as a church family to worship, to believe that God's moving, not just in the adults at church, but in the young people at church on the rock, no matter what their age. Come on, adults, can you lift our hands this morning? Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.